With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. This is Ed McGrogan here uh, for a special Tennis.com podcast for this 20th anniversary week of the website. Uh, you know, the, the bend on this week is about the future of uh, really the sport, and I wanted to talk with someone about about tennis writing and really writing in general and where we see that heading down the road uh, because it's really the you know the lifeblood of this website what it's been built on where it's going and so the first person came to mind was Louisa Thomas of uh, Grant of former Grantland fame and now on to bigger and better things I, I know a lot of you um, know her from her from her reporting um, but Louisa first of all I just want to say thank you for coming on and welcome to the tennis.com podcast Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So I know that a lot of our listeners probably, um, some are probably aware of, of your work. Some may be hearing of you uh, for the first time. I hope you know, I don't uh, go on a limb saying that. But if you could perhaps just give a bit of an introduction um, as to, I guess, your writing background. And as, as I mentioned before, I, I've read a lot of your work um, that was done over at Grantland. I think a lot of people, like myself, missed the website and what it offered, the kind of criticism and the kind of approach to um, to really all sports. And um, so I thought that we could kind of catch up and see where things are now and, and really just how you got involved in the first place. Sure. Um, I came to tennis writing a little circuitously, actually. Um, after college, I went and worked at the New Yorker as a fact checker and then an assistant um, to the editor. Um, and from there, I, I wrote a book um, about World War One, Four Brothers in World War One. Not exactly um, typical be- beginnings for a tennis writer, I guess. But, no, no. Uh, when I was waiting for that book to come out, um, I, I immediately got a contract for the next book, um, which just came out in April, a biography of Lisa Catherine Adams. Um, and of course it was a monumental undertaking. So to avoid doing it, I started playing tennis again, which I hadn't done since high school. The, uh, is it, and were you playing, um, you're playing for the, the team or just recreationally back then? No, just recreation. Oh, I played in high school. I played for my team. Yeah. Yeah. How, what's your best shot? Uh, definitely my forehand. I would say that my backhand's in the line when it's clicking is my best it's a, yeah, that, Thought that day-to-day beforehand. Yeah. And were you watching um, Were you watching the pros back then as well, or is it a thing where as you became, as you played the sport more, it generated a little more interest in the pro game? You know, it's interesting. I, I watched some when I was growing up. I certainly 
I loved sports. Um, I watched a lot of them, but I, I wouldn't say that tennis was something I watched more than any other sport. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in fact, a little bit less. I played it um, more seriously than I played anything else. But it actually, I mean, to be honest, and this is probably going to discredit me in the eyes of many readers or ears of many listeners, I, sh- I guess I should say. Um, but I didn't really start watching it very seriously until I started writing about it. Um, it was both when I started writing about it for a small literary magazine. when I started to immerse myself and from, from there I actually went backwards. I didn't kind of come out of fandom, if that makes any sense. No, it's, you know, to me, I think when you, you do need, you do need to almost be willing to, uh, to, to immerse yourself in it and to, and I, I think you only, you only perhaps get that interest about it once you, you know, see it in, in person and, and play it. Um, it. It seemed like a chicken and egg thing, sort of, uh, is how is is how it seems to be described. But, you know, f- for the sport overall, um, you know, to me, I, I really wasn't a a true. I, I was a fan before I was a writer about it. But, um, you know, what were some of the earlier, um, I guess, matches that that really caught your eye once you started watching it and maybe perhaps generated some ideas for, for writing down the road? Um, well, I mean, in high school, I loved watching. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit older, so I loved watching. I mean, I got to watch the rise of the Williams sisters. I watched, you know, Steffi Graf at the end of her career. Um, but I would say that, you know, I started writing about it in 2011. Um, and almost immediately, I knew that it was something that was just going to be that just just captured my imagination. It's actually a sport that really rewards attention, if that makes any sense. I mean, it's a sport you can turn on and you can enjoy just kind of watching casually. Um, but it's also a sport that, you know, once you enter the world, it's so complete. You know, it's a way to think about psychology and all these different ideas and a physically fascinating game it's tactical strategy kind of like i said it rewards knowledge you know the more you know the more there is to know and so yeah and i i think that that's especially you know the reason is when you just look at a match and compare it to other matches you can in one respect you can see it as just a, a an almost endless stream of points that you know really in the end don't seem to have any particular meaning on their own merit but but i think digging into some of um maybe one particular player's nuance or or some aspect of the match or the game that give, that's what seems to put forth the best tennis writing in my opinion you know that's a really good point actually i mean every every match is a situation and a story right i mean every player brings into it you know, you start with a clean score, you know, love, love. Um, but at the same time, there's something, you know, there's the every occasion has a kind of like is embedded in this context of every every other match they've played, every point that's come before in that tournament, you know, and, and they and they bring all that to bear on every match. And if you know enough about it, you can see it as part of this l- larger story. It's constantly changing, like it's constantly being written. Um, and that gets really exciting if you're a writer because there's, 
there's so much to work with. Yeah, there's a lot. It is a very layered sport from from all the players on down. And, and in you know, as it's an individual sport too, um, where as compared to say other team sports or leagues where there's a lot of change, there's almost constant change in the teams um, and the players of the situations that they're put in um, from year to year based on free agency and trades and other sorts of uh, things of that nature. Tennis, you're, you're really always, you're always carrying what you have brought from your past experiences, good or bad. Um, and, And that's, almost impossible to shake. I mean, we're still talking about, um, we're still talking about what players did many, many years ago in their careers. And I think it's a little different than as compared to say, you know, I think in football or baseball or other sports where I think, I think it's easier to see a different, uh, you know, a player's career goes in a distinctly different category, a section. I think tennis, it is a lot more, uh, it's a lot more personal. And I think you get some great writing that way. I mean, it's, it's a sport that has psychology makes such a difference. You know, I mean, I think tennis writers, I am definitely guilty of this. Probably overplay, you know, the, the kind of psychologizing, you know, thinking about how a player deals with pressure and different situations and, you know, the everything of their, about their personality and we project that, we, you know, what we think we know about them into their game. But at the same time, that's there, you know, whether or not we're kind of underplaying it or overplaying it. I mean, there's a kind of fingerprint over, on every shot, you know, and, and once you know that player's, you know, touch, like the it's almost, it makes the whole game kind of incredibly personal, incredibly human. And, and one of the reasons why tennis is such a kind of exciting sport to write about, I mean, in my opinion, it's the best sport to write about. Um, I mean, I've now written about a lot of different sports and tennis is the one I always come back to because it is the one that combines, um, you know, just kind of physical awesomeness, you know, with, like in the old sense of the word, you know, just like jaw dropping kind of, of course, shock, you know, yeah. um, and strategy and tactics and, you know, psychology and you can see their faces and you can see their kind of whole history, you know, in every sort of, you know, fall of the chin. I mean, you can just sort of, it, it just becomes this kind of rich, rich and very concentrated way to talk about, you know, human existence i mean i'm getting carried away but no well we're, we're getting we're getting uh deeper down the the rabbit hole here for sure but no it, it, it's definitely you know that mental element of the game is and psychological element is impossible to ignore but i think it's very hard to define and it's hard to define well and we may be taking some liberties in what we oh for in, sure it, but that's <laughs> but that, i mean it, it goes without saying but that's i think what all writers do anyway but it, it that's our job to try and to try and really parse out what uh, you know what the meat of it all is um, but that's also the challenge i mean to me that's part of the thrill is you know, you can't take too many liberties. You're going to lose the reader's trust. Yeah. You know, if you if you project too much, if you say something about what someone's thinking, and you know, it, it's just you. It, that bond between the writer and the reader is so fragile. Yeah. You have to earn it. You know, with you need every to be careful. Time. You certainly need to be careful with it. Yeah. And it, it's not to be taken. 
it's not to be taken lightly for sure. And, um, and, and that's what, you know, I think as we, as we consider maybe later on, we'll touch upon some of our favorite writers. I think that's what they, they strive to do and what they do well. Um, but, you know, starting off, as I said, with um, your writing at Grantland, how did you in particular just get involved with that publication? And was tennis really your main selling point to get in there? It seemed like really the coverage for the most part was was yourself and Brian Phillips um, on that site. So I was just wondering really how that um, connection was made. Yeah, no, I am. Um, well, as I said, I got my start writing for this for the blog of this really small literary magazine. And that was kind of happenstance too. I mean, I'd started playing a lot of tennis um, and talking about it a lot at parties <laughs> because I was, there's so, always one of the, there's always one person. Exactly. Like that. Don't I was worry. Wanted, like some, you know, obscure literary book party who was, you know, talking about my, you know, my slice in the corner. Um, so uh, the, but the web editor of, of this magazine asked me if I wanted to, to write about, the U S open for the site. And, um, I left at the chance be- again, I was avoiding doing my, the work I should have been doing. Um, and it was so much fun. It felt completely new and fresh and interesting in a way that I hadn't imagined and serious in a way that I hadn't imagined. I sort of thought like, Oh, sports, not very serious. Um, and yet I found myself thinking about gender, thinking about pressure, thinking about, um, the weather, thinking about all these things, you know, that, you know. That on the surface don't even seem exactly like tennis in a way, but exactly. they all just spring forth from that, right? Yeah, it was like, it was like being on a playground that I didn't know existed. And um, so, but that ended and, you know, I wrote a little bit about the French um, I, the following spring and right after that I got an email um, from this, from an editor at Grantland. Um, Grantland hadn't yet launched. Um, and I got an editor, an email from the editor, Jay Kang. Um, and he asked me if I wanted to write about Wimbledon for the site. Um, he said that they already, already lined up, um, this guy, Brian Phillips to write about, um, Roger Federer. But, um, you know, if I had any ideas, um, they'd be happy to have me. So, and what year is this? 2011? This is 2011. Yeah. Yep. So, um, I wrote a couple about Wimbledon. Um, and then us open came and I wrote a couple of pieces about Venus Williams, um, mostly, but a little, a few other people, Donald Young back in that, those days. Um, and then at the end of it, um, Jay sort of said, you know, we wish you watched other sports. So you could keep writing for us. And I go, Hey, <laughs> let's <laughs> not sell. Go. Yeah. Let's not sell short. Here. Um, yeah. So, and then I started, um, you know, my, my experience with Grantland was like one of, it was quicksand, you know, I sort of stepped onto it and sunk a little in and then further in. And then, you know, by the time it was closed, I, I'd moved out to LA. I was an editor and a writer. I was sort of like my entire life was wrapped up in Grantland. But well, um, in, a, in a way, you know, I'm guilty of anyone of kind of uh, listening to some of these postmortems about Grantland. And that is kind of you know, I feel like I've heard your story before told by so many people in there in that way. And that it was, you know, it's a great, it seemed obviously like a great group of people to, to work with, but also that, 
it just became more and more of a all like a consuming. It, yeah, yeah, it was like a life choice in a way. And I think, it, it, it was a life choice. Yeah. I mean, it was a life. I mean, it was really. I mean, we worked really hard. I mean, I've never worked so hard in my life. Um, I've never been so fulfilled and rewarded for such hard work too. Um, I mean, I. It's interesting because I think all of us felt a little bit like outsiders, you know, in right. some ways. And and yet there we were. And, and we were. I mean, we were sort of all plucked from little obscure corners of the internet. Most of us didn't have, a few of us had um, a lot of experience writing about sports or culture. But a lot of us were coming from, you know, blo- our own blogs or school teachers or finance or i mean yeah there wasn't we one, were, there wasn't one direct uh, path that brought you guys together there exactly yeah, yeah um you know and 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 so it was that was one of the things that made it so exciting there was a sense of kind of radical possibility yeah. um and freedom you know i don't think there were very 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 few times i wanted to do something and they said no um i mean i got i got to go I could go over the world I went to Wimbledon I went to um you know New York I went to or I mean I went just I mean I went to I, I never got to do my dream you know Rome Roland Garros circuit but um, right <laughs> you know if I could have if I could have gotten you know Rome Roland Garros Queens you know I would have been set for life but, yes yeah but um but there was a kind of there was there was money which was rare but even more than that there was this desire to take risks mm-hmm. and um and tennis for me was was my i guess my main beat i i was always welcome to write about anything but certainly tennis was the thing i liked to write about most it was certainly the thing that i felt most comfortable writing about because even though i sort of as i kind of admit, admitting now I'm, i didn't come from like a huge i didn't have a really strong background in tennis when i started writing but you know almost immediately I tried to learn as much as I could. And, you know, I mean, by then YouTube was, God. Yeah, that's, you know, that's really, that's a primary source that, uh, and, and, you know, honestly, you know, there are not going to be too many ways that you would technically have a, a strong, a, a detailed tennis journalism background now because there just aren't that many, um, ways to have that nowadays. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, thinking about what you've just said about the tournaments you've covered and um, the pieces that you've written for them, you know, when you come, your site obviously was a lot different than, let's say, our website where we have, where we, in some cases, will have people on the ground and covering as many matches as possible in as short a time as possible, which is a, a challenge that I face all the time. And uh, but but it's a different style with with your with with Grantland at the time, um, you know. How I guess did you go about deciding on particular stories to cover? Because you know you're writing pieces, from what I recall, that are really more um, they're they take a little more time to develop. They're not they're not exa- there. There was some sort of immediate reaction. There was like a subset of, of pieces like that. But right. you know. I kind of, I'm kind of wondering about the process of of just choosing a story and and what uh, and what makes that how that turns into a focus and just some of your thought process behind that. Sure. Um, well, I mean, I guess that evolved over time too. Um, but it was generally a little bit, you know, haphazard. We had this great luxury 
you know, and we knew that, you know, you guys were doing what you do. We never had to sort of tell people the score. Yeah. You know, I always assumed that whenever anyone read my piece, they actually knew the outcome. <laughs> you know, it wasn't my job to sort of um, explain how, you know, Serena Williams beat Victoria Azarenko. That was not my job. Um, in fact, I could safely assume that probably 50% of the pe- people reading my piece had seen the match. Um, so that's a challenge, but it's also an opportunity. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just saying it's a challenge because obviously you don't want to bore people with just repeating what they've already seen. Um, it's an opportunity because, you know, I didn't have to sort of necessarily make the match about the key points, you know, or the key shots or, or you know, there was a way in which you could sort of build around the match or dive into it rather than having to sort of account for all of it. Yeah, and, and I'm, you know you can anybody listening can can do some digging online to find it but i you know two of the pieces of yours that i think explain this pretty well obviously um and and in a way your pieces to me the style is is clear throughout them it's kind of weaved through them but they all they all do come across in in kind of their own unique ways and you know it in indian wells in 2015 um you, know, you write about Flavia Panetta and and her dealing with the burdens of being a defending champion there. Now, I who would have thought, by the way, that she would go on to take right. the U.S. and that had to be something to take the U.S. Open a few months later um, and promptly, pretty much retire on the spot afterward. That was um, kind of a neat little postscript to that. And then also, you know, one that I that I found particularly um, compelling because you know, as a first time, I was lucky enough to go to Wimbledon a couple of times too, is, is when you really, you know, take a look at Wimbledon and really what's the essence of the tournament. It was a play with, um, with Alice in Wonderland and, and how the tournament, um, you know, it, it is, we have an image of it in our minds. And in some ways that image is exactly what it is when you see it. In some ways it's completely different. I thought that was one of the one of the better ways to to take a subject that has been written about in so many different ways and really how can you kind of tell it differently but you know that's a way to do it is to kind of and I think that's a, that's going back to kind of using our liberties and using what we feel as writers to 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 dig into something you know a lot deeper and a lot more personally than than we had before. I thought that was a great piece you did. Wim, it was uh, Adventures in Wimble, uh, uh, Wimble uh, Weird. I want to say it was like Wimbledon. I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How did? Yeah. Just if you remember that piece in general. Um, that sure. Was, yeah, just maybe some thoughts of how that all came together for you. Um, well, it came together. I mean, that's sort of a good example because it um, it's pretty much uh, typical of how I went about writing, um, which is to say, I had read um, Alice's Adventures in uh, oh, Through the Looking Glass and yeah. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland um, uh, a couple of weeks before, that, and so it sort of had been on my mind. Um, and I had a deadline, um, you know, I arrived at Wimbledon and I was exhausted and I had a deadline and I had sort of had no idea what I was going to say. I hadn't seen very much tennis yet. Um, I'm sort of a slow writer, um, especially for the internet. Um, so I always like to have, 
some kind of time to think about things. And I also write in my head. I don't sit down on a computer and write. Um, so I, I was actually walking, um, to dinner with, I knew I should sort of sit in my chair and type, but instead I agreed to have dinner with, um, another wonderful tennis writer who does something very different than me and very different than you, but Carl Bialik from 538. Right. Yep. Um, and, uh, and so I had about a 20 minute walk and I just started thinking about, I was passing these hedgerows and these walls and this kind of very English countryside and it was impossible not to think of Alice yeah you know and and so on this walk you know as I was kind of panicking about what I was going to write that night (laughs) and yet sort of my mind was wandering you know through the rabbit hole um you know some somehow these things overlaid and and this piece emerged um I'm not someone I don't like writing about myself like I don't like um writing myself into the story. That's something that someone like Brian Phillips, who's the other writer at Grantland who wrote, wrote a lot about tennis, he does extremely well. Um, and that's something like I admire in his writing, but it's not something that I can do so much. So, but on the other hand, like I'm always right there below the surface. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I sort of, uh, um, there's almost a, I kind of have, like, I joke about this sometimes that all of my writing is, is autobiography in some ways. You just have to, you just have to know where to look. Yeah, it, it's. I have to. I have to tell you. Sometimes taking a walk when you can't figure it out actually does give you some pretty good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Pretty. It, it's a pretty simple thing, but and and I think a good point, honestly, to make there is that um, that ideas can come from very unexpected places for writing. Exactly. And, I, and I. I mean, this is like one hundred and one, but um, but it, it's true. I you, you've you can really you can really do a lot by kind of just changing um, your perspective on things sometimes. Um, besides, I, mean, oh, go I was ahead. just going to say like, you know, one of the things that I, one of the gifts about having started writing about tennis for this, you know, like I said, this literary website that didn't cover sports, you know, it wasn't, um, I mean, that was, I sort of knew that I had to do something different. Yeah. You're you know? forced and that kind was, of in a way to, to create. Exactly. Yeah. And that was, I, that was my only rule when I was, when I was writing in general was that I didn't want to do, you know, the same thing that everyone else was doing. I didn't want to do the same thing that I'd done before, although obviously I end up doing that all the time. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I wanted, it, it was, it was, a, it was a gift, you know, I just had, I wanted to experiment, you know, I wanted to use this chance to sort of talk about human beings, you know, but to do it in a way that was fun and interesting and, and full of life and, you know, and I, I failed more than I succeeded, I'm sure. But that was, that was always what was on my mind was to kind of let things, let the, like, let life filter in, you know? Yeah. So I think on that point, I kind of want to move ahead in a way to, I think we have a sense of really where the, a kind of the way that you approach writing and, um, and I think, you know, as it relates to tennis, as it relates to even any other sort of uh, subject matter. But, you know, you've just written a book, um, Louisa, on the first lady of John Quincy Adams, Louisa Adams. Um, And, you know, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about this too as a magazine editor um, for Tennis Magazine. And I'm wondering really your thoughts about 
you know, do you see kind of a, a, a promising future, not just a future, but really a promising future for for books, for magazines, maybe particularly as it relates to sport in some way? Um, you know, I, I wonder about this all the time because obviously I work in a digital space. Um, I have, that's the reason I'm, I'm at tennis to begin with. Um, that's really what I'm consuming most of the time. Uh, in terms of uh, lack of a better term content and but but to me it still remains obvious and clear when I'm reading a magazine or I'm reading a book about any subject that I prefer I'm getting a different experience from that I can feel it as I'm reading it Um, whether it's just because it's more detailed or more or you're given more latitude, or it's just structured differently than a, than a piece for the web, for example. Um, you're still getting, as a reader and as a writer, just a very different experience in doing that. And I hope that doesn't go away or is neutered to the extent that there's just not enough room or not enough money to sustain those types of mediums. And I was kind of wondering your thoughts about that as a very recent uh, second time author, you know, kind of the future of um, really print journalism. I mean, that's a huge question. I I wish I had clear answers. I mean, I will say that I'm of two minds. Um, I, I have no idea about the money. You know, I don't, know what the future holds in terms of, I don't know what the economic model is. Um, I do know that the internet, I think I am pro internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it makes any sense. I, 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 yeah. I want to put that out there. I am, I'm with you on that. I am. I, because I don't think Grantland, something like Grantland could have existed. I mean, I think that all these barriers were knocked down and these voices that, you know, kind of hadn't had a, hadn't had a chance to filter through are now flourishing. And there's so many different kinds of ways, so many different kinds of ways to talk about tennis. Let's just like stick to tennis for a second. You know, you can think about it in terms of, you know, you can be a numbers cruncher. You can be funny about it. You can be deeply serious about it. You can be, you know, you can get immediate analysis. You can get long form journalism. You can get, I mean, you can get all this stuff because of the internet and you can get it all for free. Um, and I don't know how that is ultimately sustainable. Um, but I do think that it's allowed for this kind of explosion of experimentation and a proliferation of voices. And um, all that has been for the good of, you know, the tennis reading community. Right. Um, so on the whole, I'm, I'm completely optimistic because I think that, you know, I think that there is an opportunity for us to sort of use all these tools that we're getting all the time. I mean, things like tennis abstract or, you know, changing the way we understand the game from a, on a, you know, kind of gritty statistical level. And then there are people like, you know, David Foster Wallace, one of the great tennis writers, you know, of in recent history or of all time, <laughs> um, who is sort of a, really well known for his kind of pyrotechnic language, but was also like, if you read his stuff, it's just fascinated by process, yeah. you know, by like strings and the grit of the tour and things like that and how, how draws work and things like that. And then you get, you know, Sports Illustrated has always had a really good commitment to tennis and has always had a really good team around it. Um, I mean, so there's sort of all of these different places 
that are trying things and are, are bringing, bringing their own new thing. Tennis Magazine has obviously for 20 years been, you know, at the center of this too. I mean, I think that the question is where do we go from here? And I think that, you know, there is a world in which we just get, we can get better. You know, we have more opportunities. We know more. We have more platforms. We have no more ways to communicate with each other. We have more ways to watch. I mean, the fact that I can now watch, you know, a first round match in like Shanghai, it's just it's something unbelievable. That you, yeah, you know? it, it's something that would have that was unheard of even a decade ago. Yeah. And yeah, I can flip the channel right now and see him qualifying at Roland Garros for you know, uh, yeah. So, it, so there's a way in which my I can know so much about players who would have once been lost. Um, and you can sort of ride their journeys in a certain way. I mean, I, I, I became really um, interested in Simona Halep in 2013. Now you're speaking to our audience. You know, yeah. so <laughs> she, she was someone who uh, really kind of like caught me, you know, yeah. and she was someone who was really obscure you know, at that point. And and so, but I was really able to sort of, I felt like in some ways, like I was along the ride with her as, you know, as she grew as a player and as she grew, you know, rose through the ranks and as she struggled and, you know, as she's had all these coaching changes. And I mean, the lucky thing for me is I feel like I get, you know, I've got to talk to her about this. I've got to talk to her coaches, you know, things like that. So that's been a special thing, but even just as a fan, you know, even just some, as someone who's interested in tennis, I've gotten to watch the ways her game is developed or not developed and, you know, regression and advancement. And, and you can really become invested in this very deep way. And that is um, something very, very new, I think. Yeah. And it's interesting you said about some about, you know, this help example. Now, a lot of people, uh, a lot of older, um, you know, it's the wrong word. I, I think writers of a prior generation, when the when the barrier between athlete and um, journalist was, I think much more. Uh, you could cross that barrier. You could be. You could. You could have the access essentially that you needed to get um, a great, compelling story. That by today's standards, when you're dealing with a lot of the the handlers and the PR right. and everything is, is it seems like impossible to get. Now, you contrast that with things about what you're saying. Um, you know, look at what a great resource like YouTube is. What about um, all the different ways that obviously social media is a great example of this. Is just I think there are now just different ways that we as writers are able to connect with the subjects that we choose and they're not going to be the conventional, they're not necessarily going to be that conventional one-on-one um, extended interaction. You're not going to have Pete Bodo sitting with Yvonne Lendl at his house for, for writing this great chapter that he did for his book, The Courts right. of Babylon. That's, that's pretty unrealistic today, but there are different ways to, and I think, and these ways may become ever more expanding as as we move along years down the road, um, to try and see the people that and the things that we want to write about in a different way. Um, you you you've mentioned sort of obscure an obscure player at the time, Halop. You know, any of you who who follow me on Twitter have probably wondered why I periodically write about luge of all sports and this is like 
uh, you know, this is the obscure of obscure sports, this Winter Olympic game that I'm actually trying to, I just took sort of an interest in on as well. And um, I, I mentioned this because, you know, this is this subject, which is something I want to write about down the road. I would have never had this these opportunities and this access to try to to try to dig into the sport if even ten years ago now. Uh, but there are so many new and developing sort of ways that we're seeing what we need to see and 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 trying to trying to give ourselves these opportunities to to uh to highlight something that we haven't been able to before. So I think maybe, you know, I think maybe the process might be changing more than necessarily the end result of of finding a, a story in a magazine, a book online, but I think the way that we're developing those stories, you know, that is constantly changing too. I think that's true. I mean, I think that, you know, the 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 kind of elephant in the room is, is the money, of course. Um, I mean, I know that beat writers, I have so much admiration for people who are on the tour and are at every press conference and are asking the questions so that there is a press transcript for, you know, a lazy person like me to look at. <laughs> that is a life choice, let me tell and, you, being a beat writer. God it, bless them. Yeah. But I know that, you know, it can be frustrating for them that, you know, someone like, like me has access to this stuff. And when, especially because I don't get to go to every tournament, mm-hmm. um, and and I'm not trying to do what the beat writers are doing. I'm trying to, in in a way, complement their work. Um, you know, I, I sort of occupy a different niche, um, but I, I rely on them. You know, because I, they are the ones who are going out there. They are the ones who are sort of giving me, um, opening the door. You know, into into the room in which I'm not standing. Yeah, <laughs> I can look in, um, and I know that you know one of the difficult things is that all that costs money. You know, you need the New York Times to be willing to send people to all these tournaments. You need, um, you know, you basically just need a kind of commitment on the part of some of these, of these organizations or or places like tennis.com to think it's worth it, you know, to send people to Australia, not just to the Melbourne, but to Brisbane, you know, all those things. And, and that's incredibly, that's an incredible investment of resources, especially when you know that there are kind of couch writers like myself who are like leeching on your work, you know? So I, I don't really know how to answer some of those questions. Um, I know that in some ways, in some ways this does feel like almost a kind of golden moment because we still have that kind of traditional investment in you know, feet on the ground. Yeah, you wonder. You, you do wonder if there is a breaking point at at some time for that, because you can understand the protection in a way and the the investment that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think right now it's. Um, I feel very grateful and very lucky to have the, these kind of resources from coming from different directions. Yeah. Um, you know, and I hope that continues. I really do. I, but I also am aware that it might not. I don't take it for granted. Yeah. Two more questions, and I'm going to let you go and uh, appreciate the time as always. Um, You know, one, I'll put you on the spot kind of, you know, are there any sort of trends in writing today or styles of writing or maybe just that you could that you could really do without going down the road? And (laughs) and I guess, you know, this is, you know, this is a, a tricky subject, too, and it's very personal as well it, it it's tough in that 
I can see even thing. I often see myself, even not knowing you're doing it, sort of regurgitating some of the stuff you don't want to see out there to begin with it. It's very, I think it's very easy to be caught up in the moment of, of what is kind of in vogue and what is of in style for writing and, and truthfully of what gets, um, you know, what gets the clicks, what gets, what makes it all, what makes the train keep going, you know, down the track. And, you know, truthfully, you know, I think this is where maybe you see how, how big of a factor social media and, and that has played into almost forcing us to write about particular subjects or in a particular way that if we didn't have these outside pressures um, to, to, you know, that we might have more of a, that I, that I might write about something else entirely or, um, or might go about it in a much more, um, possibly detailed, but, you know, uh, in a different process. Um, you, you see, I think so many websites nowadays, sports websites in particular, that almost look the same. And, and we're not seeing, um, we're seeing a lot more homogenization in terms of how we're covering sports. And I, I think that's something that, you know, that's something that it's kind of a reality of today, but I wonder where, it, I wonder where that goes down the road. And I'm wondering if there's any sort of um, really just writing, any elements of writing that um, really aren't kind of your cup of tea? Um, well, I would say that, of course there are, because I have my own personal predilections and tastes. Um, but I would also say that I'm generally pretty forgiving. Um, I think it's hard to write, you know, on deadline. I think it's hard to write even you know, not on deadline, but for the next day, you know, not, you know, not for the next few hours, but for the next day. Um, I think that, um, I mean, I tend to like writing that's been polished and worked over, um, that's been edited, (laughs) you know, I tend to like, um, writing that both has a voice, um, but isn't kind of too indulgent in it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also think, I mean, I'm certainly guilty of kind of overwriting sometimes. So I'm, I mean, I'm definitely guilty of that. But um, I do think that um, I wish there was sort of more room for quiet pieces, if that makes any sense. Pieces that aren't so credit. One thing that was great about Grantland was that we really didn't worry about traffic. Yes. Uh, we didn't even get our traffic numbers. Um, even as, as an editor, I didn't have access to traffic numbers, really. No. Um, and that was just, I know how rare that is. Yeah, that's um, not how things work uh, yeah. too many places. <laughs> In the exactly. real world. <laughs> yeah. Well. So, um, so I felt, but even so, you know, I sort of had enough of a glimpse to um, worry about it. Um, and, and I do think that it would be nice if, we could just write for <laughs> our ideal audience and not just start at the real audience. Uh, we should have been born many, many years ago, yeah. it sounds like. But, I think that all the time. But yeah. um, then again, we wouldn't get to see Serena Williams. So. Yes, that's a good point. I'm going to leave um, leave us with just uh, when you and I originally started talking about doing a podcast here for this this, this anniversary week for Tennis.com, um, we, we, we ended up settling on this because – I think it turned out 
for the better, just to kind of really go off and, and explore really our thoughts about writing. But yeah, I thought you did a, a nice job of really summing up really maybe the hope for um, writing tennis, writing down the road. And, uh, you know, you said that um, while you're not sure that you can imagine the future of tennis writing, I only hope that it will look something like the best of the present, a mix of technical analysis, investigative journalism, cultural criticism, and beautiful prose. And I think uh, it sounds like a nice place to be, and I, and I think it's encouraging that we have a lot of those elements right now um, in some of our favorite writers. Um, and um, and I think that if we can continue to kind of cultivate that and, and really just continue to, 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 to showcase that great writing that maybe uh, 20 years from now when we catch up again on the podcast, if there even still is a podcast uh, 20 years from now, we can, uh, we can appreciate that. I look forward to our reunion. Yes. Yeah, exactly. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll make it happen. But um, first of all, just, or last of all, just thank you for coming on and for kind of sharing your story. I know a lot of people um, like me that read a lot of your work and were fans of Grantland uh, kind of wanted to catch up and see where you are. And like I said, you have a, uh, a new book that I would encourage everyone to, uh, to check out. Any final words? Uh, thanks for having me on. And also, uh, yeah, congratulations to tennis.com no. and tennis magazine. Yes. Thank you very much. We will, uh, we'll be here 50 and 20 more years down the road, respectively. So, um, so that is all for today's, uh, podcast, um, for Louisa Thomas. Thank you again so much for joining us. I'm Ed McGrogan. Uh, tune in next time for the tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com 